Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. So you don't need to be a rocket scientist to know that the world isn't looking so great right now. Whether it's the images of brutal war cast across our televisions every night or erratic weather showing the effects of climate change, the big world out there is certainly sending us a message. But even closer to home, like in our homes, whether it's dealing with rising rents or paying an impossible mortgage, life can sometimes feel like a bit of a nightmare. Then imagine you aren't 18 and even though you know all these things, you can't even vote. Today's Changemaker Chat is with Anir Kareem. Anir is part of a new Australian youth movement called Make It 16. Make It 16 has a pretty simple goal that... Older, young Australians, 16 and over, should have the right to vote. Today we hear about how she became passionate about changing politics and how Make It 16 is trying to make our representative democracy a little bit more representative. She shares Make It 16 strategy and tells a few interesting, revealing, frustrating stories that she and others have faced in enlisting support from politicians in just trying to make such a simple and reasonable request that young people can have a say too. So, let's go. I'm Amanda Tattersall. Welcome to Changemaker Chats, conversations with people changing the world. Changemakers also produces episodes that feature stories about social change campaigns. Changemakers is supported by the Sydney Policy Lab at the University of Sydney. They break down barriers between researchers, policymakers and community campaigners so we can build change together. Check them out at sydney.edu.au backslash policy dash lab. We're now broadcast on Acast as part of the Iconoclast Network, so you can find us there as well as on all the usual podcast apps. You can find out more about Changemakers on our website, where you can also sign up to our email list. It's changemakerspodcast.org. Hello, Anna. Welcome to Changemaker Chats. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me, Amanda. We are delighted to have you and particularly delighted to be able to hear your distinctive story and perspective as one of the younger changemakers that we've ever had on the show. But to, to orient this conversation and for our guests to get a, a bit of a sense of who you are and what you do... I'm wondering if you could tell us a little bit about what kind of change maker are you? Thank you so much again, Amanda. Amanda, I would consider myself uh, a young change maker who is particularly interested in community impact. So I think the kind of change making I'm interested in is not only you know uh, empowering change within you know, policy um, and other kind of structures, but I think just uh, helping certain groups who don't get representation to get that. And I think that's really important in the youth space because a lot of the time policy is made or, you know, infrastructure is developed without actually considering young people. So 
I'm really passionate about consultation and representation. And I think that's really important, particularly in my work advocating for young people, just that kind of like consultation idea of young people being able to feed into that feedback and making sure that they can inform the best kind of services that help them. I love that. And you know, we, we know that phrase from the disability movement, nothing about us without us. And what I, what I hear and what you're saying is how important that is for young people as well. And look, and what I also am hearing already in your, in your, in your description of yourself is the importance of the importance of impact and the importance of not just having nice ideas about the world, but actually delivering changes on the ground being essential to, to what it means to be a change maker for you. So, I mean, the big question that underlies that is, so why did you decide to be a change maker like that, Anna? Like, why did you choose a particular, have a particular interest in, in, in this kind of change? So look, I would love for you to share that, but share it by going back as far as you need. And also, I guess, not just in the, to the to the voices and inspiration in your own experience, but to the people who also have inspired you in your journey. Why why this kind of change making? Where did, where did this particular approach to making change come from for you? I think, you know, I guess I'll, I'll start from maybe when I was in late primary school, I guess, uh, I was kind of always interested in you know, public speaking and writing. Um, I think I was through those spaces. Um, for instance, like, you know, I did a lot of speeches on things like multiculturalism and racism. And so I learned about issues like that. Okay. Wait, wait, wait. Let's just pause. So, Anha, tell us a little bit about why you were interested in racism. Yeah, of course. Um, so I think um, issues about multiculturalism and racism were really intriguing to me from a young age, like uh, as in things that, um, you know, I thought multiculturalism was very important. And that was, I guess, fed to me because of my school community, which was very diverse, um, but also the community that I grew up in. Um, I grew up, you know, most of primary school in Greenacre. And so that was an environment where at school. Okay. Uh, now, plenty of our audience uh, might not know much about Greenacre. <laughs> they might be in. Sydney and not know much about Greenacre, but I'm sure that some of our overseas listeners in London and the US um, might be scratching their head. Tell us a little bit about where you live. So Greenacre is in Western Sydney and yeah, it's definitely a very diverse area. I grew up, um, you know, it's very diverse in terms of like racial backgrounds. I know in terms of, you know, like Greenacre, the Kemba and Bankstown in Sydney um, are quite predominantly like Muslim and Arab. Um, but there's also, you know, lots of South Asian and East Asian communities, lots of um, diverse people in those areas. And I think the schools also are therefore quite committed to that as well. So it's just, you know, things like Harmony Day, things like entering public speaking competitions where the theme is multiculturalism. Um, so I think that got me very much interested in the importance of diversity, but also problems around racism. You know, I, I guess I wasn't really exposed to that kind of prejudice at a young age. Um, necessarily but yeah definitely something that I was interested in but I think the whole idea of kind of like you know giving back and advocacy was also something that was very prominent in my community there are you know lots of Western Sydney based organizations for instance Iowa um, so that's my grandmother's organization the Islamic Women's Welfare Association and so you know I grew up and I went to preschool and you know did activities there but then as I got older started to volunteer there and yeah my grandma's been a very big part of my life um you know so of organizations like that and there are plenty of others okay if you can tell us a little bit more about the importance of your grandma you know your grandma is a 
very important person in Australia's Muslim community. She's also your grandma and I'm sure has delighted in giving you many a cuddle. What uh, impact did her story and her life experience, what impact has it had and on you? How has it shaped you? I think her story is one that's definitely like inspired me. So she would have moved to Sydney maybe 50 years ago from Egypt. So she was a migrant here and quite a big family to her. She had five children. Um, you know, she, she definitely had a lot of things to do while she was here. Also, you know, getting accustomed to a new country, but she was not only concerned with, I guess, her own self and her own family, um, but she also did a lot of work for other people who she might be struggling in the same way. A lot of migrant women who maybe didn't have that much, you know, family or friends here or, you know, weren't really able to establish themselves here, you know, wanted a community of people to help them. So that was something, the, the reason why she started up that organization. So I think, like you said, seeing her in that personal sense as my grandmother, but also someone who's done really incredible community work, someone who's been recognized for that. You know, she was the Australian of the Year um, back a couple of years ago. Uh, sorry, the, the uh, old Australian of the Year for New South Wales. But yeah, she, she definitely has uh, served the community a lot and she was recognized for that. But also, you know, being able to interact with her personally and interact with her and her community work is something that definitely interested me. And so I think that's why I kind of, that that community of, of giving back and advocacy was something that made me very receptive to the opportunities that I was lucky enough to get in around, you know, year seven, year eight in high school um, to be able to contribute to the youth space. And look, you've, you've mentioned that you haven't had a lot of personal experience with with racism, but we know in Australia that 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 actually there is some level of of, of racism, and, and that we sometimes talk about ourselves as being multicultural. But I don't mm. necessarily think we live up to that promise so much. One hundred percent. As you know, as as a as a Muslim woman, mm-hmm. as a, as a woman who who wears the hijab, how how important do you think it is for you to be involved in? You know, speaking of nothing about us without us. Speaking of the idea of the importance of of diverse women's voices, being in political life. How have you found it to be important to, to be a vocal spokesperson given Australia needs to you know, do better on these questions? Yeah, definitely. I think like you said, you know, multiculturalism is something that this country prides itself in and it's definitely something that, you know, we've come a long way with and we really strive to achieve. But um, definitely I think we are by no means perfect. I think a lot of the time it kind of acts as a guise for a lot of the racism and prejudice that a lot of Australians actually do experience. I mean, you know, I've been lucky enough that, yes, I have had, you know, certain microaggressions or, you know, certain encounters that have been racist, but, you know, overall, um, I, I consider myself very lucky when we see the kind of statistics about hate crimes facing Muslim women facing other minorities in Australia. So, yeah, definitely a big issue. And I consider that to be something that I have a responsibility of speaking about because I think that in a lot of ways, it's maybe an uncomfortable truth for a lot of Australians that that's, you know, the nature of it. Um, I think we like to tell ourselves that, you know, it's a lucky country and, you know, everybody gets a fair go and that kind of thing. The statistics, you know, the anecdotal experiences of a lot of people say the the opposite. So, um, yeah, definitely being able to speak on the nature of that, I think, is something really important and something that I have the obligation to do. But also, like you said, the idea of nothing about us without us, um, you know, the diversity space, you know, anti-racist advocacy shouldn't be held by you know, people that haven't had those kind of experiences. So I think it's really important for young people who um, do belong to, you know, marginalised groups to be able to have the opportunity to speak out about those kind of issues. So that's a pretty impressive political argument for someone who 
is what year at school are you in? Um, I've just gone into year 12, so in t- time four, went into year 12. Going into year 12, <laughs> which doesn't surprise me, but it also it just impresses me that you um, have such a clear take. But we're going to talk about how you got involved in this magnificent movement that mm-hmm. is about giving young people the right to vote. Mm-hmm. But before we get into your story about how you got involved, I wonder if you can just explain to everyone what make it 16 is so we can understand um we can understand the, the i guess the topic that we're going to be talking about today yeah of course um so make it 16 is a youth-led movement and it was begun last year by two young people uh who i think met at youth parliament and were really interested in lowering the voting age to 16 it's you know by no means the first movement that's that's tried to do this whether it's internationally or in australia but it's really just focused on being youth-led it was started by archie coppola and tapita stevenson jones and they are both really passionate about lowering the voting age to 16 and so they partnered with the foundation for young australians fya who's been able to help with you know funding and being able to you know go through applications and select the youth advisory group and so that's just a group that i guess leads the movement but it's really just a youth-led movement calling on the australian government to lower the voting age to 16 we've seen a really positive trajectory around the world where you know, whether it's New Zealand, who's considering of lowering the voting age, um, or many other countries around the world um, who have actually done so. Um, but yeah, it's just in Australia calling on our government to lower that voting age to 60. And so why do people, young people want to lower the voting age? Tell us what their argument is as to why this is important. Yeah, um, so the argument as to why this is important is just that there are many issues which affect young people, whether they're youth-specific issues, things like education or youth health. Um, But there's also general things that are going to disproportionately impact young people. That's things like the cost of living crisis, things like climate change, which we know young people are probably going to live to see to a far greater extent than maybe older people. And so the whole idea is that as young people who are affected by those kind of decisions, it's only fair that we have the ability to input in those decisions as well. We also see that young people are treated as adults in many other cases. They do things like pay taxes, they work, um, you know, they can join the military at the age of 16. It's definitely something that this country is Really? Yes. So we, can, we send people off to be killed at 16, but we don't let them to go into a ballot box mm. and vote for their elected representative. Exactly. Right. Yeah. I did not know that. That's yeah. outrageous. It is. Oh. It is very outrageous. You know, even things like um, the juvenile justice system, which we know incarcerates children as young as 10, um, but those yeah. communities don't get an input on you know, how government policies are going to affect them. Yes, there's a lot of issues. Even Imagine how the voice referendum would have been different if young people could have voted. I Definitely. think that lots of things might be different if mm-hmm. we had uh, a greater suffrage um, in this country. So so now I'm kind of interested about you, Anna. Like they're, they're the sort of general reasons why, why young people would want to access to, to voting. What, what, why did, how did you join this? And in what way did this interest you in particular? So I was involved in a couple of other similar youth campaigns before. So like I said, you know, uh, I was definitely really passionate about doing things like giving back. And so um, I joined the Wellbeing Health and Youth Committee. That would have been back in 2020, I believe. And so that I just learned a lot about the importance of consultation, the, like, I really learning about systems like the health system and how often young people, particularly like adolescents in that period between 16 and 17, are left out of a lot of systems. Um, And so I became really passionate about that issue. I think that that meant when, you know, I was involved in FIA, I'd done some upskilling and some workshops with them. When I got an email about this opportunity, I thought that it was 
such an important avenue for young people because definitely young people are doing things like protesting, they're doing things like joining organizations um, and campaigning, and those are all definitely really valid and important routes of action. But to me, being able to get the vote is something that's fair, it's democratic, but also I think it would improve a lot of outcomes for young people. And it's also like, I mean, goodness gracious, like the kind of, it's a high barrier form of action to go mm. to a big protest and a whole bunch, hundreds of thousands of young people have taken that high barrier action and good on them, right, on student strikes and beyond. But it's not the, but we actually aren't giving people a low barrier action, like an easier form of political activity um, as well. Like there's so many, we, in a sense, what would be good is to be able to provide multiple forms and multiple avenues for people to be able to take variable forms of people power and participate in our democracy. And I guess what I'm hearing you say is you want to open up another, what seems to be a very reasonable uh, avenue for people's participation. Yeah, definitely. I think like you said, there is a lot of there are, you know, a lot of barriers to doing things like protesting or organizations. I think we see that it's often certain young people that join those. We see, you know, issues like consultation fatigue, where we see the same amount of young people constantly consulted, you know. Uh, I'm really grateful that I've been able to have opportunities to join these organizations, but definitely, you know, it's impossible, like implausible for young people to get involved. I think something like protesting is something that makes um, being able to inform government policy so much more accessible to young people who deserve that right. Yeah. Oh, I, I think that I think that that's right, and you know, the, it's true that there. It's for some communities, protesting is going to be easily accessible. But I bet you, I bet you have friends at school, some of whom would not go to a protest, but have strong opinions about a variety of issues that affect them in daily life that they would love to have a say about. Definitely, yeah. There are so many barriers to doing things like that. You know, whether it's you know fear, you know, maybe bad interactions with you know if it's protest specifically with law enforcement, you know things like uncomfortability around that. You know, there are so many reasons why young people might not be able to participate in that. But I think voting is a way to allow all young people the opportunity to voice their opinion. Especially, I mean, the issue of race, right? Like all these things that you've been talking about before, they play out um, in, in in different systems in disproportionate ways. Like when I walk out of protest as a, as, a, as a white middle-class woman, I get less grief than perhaps when, when someone who looks different to me does. Definitely. Okay, so, Anna, right, I think the people are curious, they're interested, I'm interested, I'm interested in how you're going to make it happen. So often in social change, we people use the phrase your theory of change. Like, what's your plan? What's what's the plan that allows Australia to go from a country that seems to not have a big debate or discussion about young people voting to one that enables the suffrage to to shift and allow 16 and 17 year olds to be able to vote? Yeah. Um, so I think our, our main kind of you know plan or theory of change is we just really want to. Um, we want to get as much political and social support as we can. And so I think that's just looked like us trying to ensure that, you know, major parties are on our side. You know, we've got the support of the Greens. Um, you know, we're a nonpartisan organisation, but we do definitely want the support of as many politicians as we can because obviously they're the ones that are going to be able to pass this. And so I guess the way we do that is just really making sure that we have a really strong youth base. So we've done things like make it 16 launches in each state. We've been able to have plenty of volunteers who have you know, signed up to this, lots of young people, lots of coordinators who have been super helpful in this movement. Um, I think by establishing that base, you know, we've just been able to make sure that our message, you know, we're all on the right play, page. We've got a really clear message. We've been able to do social media advocacy. We have an amazing social media team trying to get 
partners on board who are able to spread this message. But yeah, I guess, you know, the, the crux of this issue is just trying to get politicians on board, which definitely is challenging when I think a lot of people have, you know, really set and entrenched notions about young people or a lot of misconceptions about them. And we definitely have gotten politicians who are very willing to do this, um, you know, maybe politicians who are hesitant, but definitely open to it. But yeah, we're just hoping to get as many people on our side as we can, because we think this is a really important thing to be able to pass. So so I assume you've been doing meetings with politicians, is that right? We've had, you know, meetings with local MPs. We've been able to um, arrange a lot of conversations with politicians, which has been, yeah, really great. Great. Now, I don't want you to devolve names of politicians. <laughs> okay. you, just said, you just said that you've got met a lot of politicians Who've, who have low a low sense of, of young people's capacity to exercise the vote. Right? They don't have mm-hmm. um, think that young people have got the capacity to do this. Tell us some of the things that have been said to you about why young people shouldn't be given the vote. Yeah, I think unfortunately there there is a lot of yeah a lot of rhetoric around how young people shouldn't get the vote. I think the specific things we hear is you know they haven't had the life experience to be able to vote. You know, young people aren't educated enough on the political system. You know, they'll just vote green. They'll just vote left. You know, which is is a big argument, I guess, for why Labour and Liberal are maybe more hesitant to do this. So, so it's hilarious that they're told that you're being told that they haven't young people haven't had enough education on this. When the government is mm. in charge of the education system Definitely. failing to educate the kids. Yeah, well done. Well done, people making this argument. What else? <laughs> what else have they said? Yeah, just, just I guess quickly on that, it is such an interesting argument as well because one of the biggest benefits of lowering the voting age is I think we'd have much better civics education in schools. But, yeah, no, definitely a pretty, pretty flawed argument that is brought up. Yeah, I think we also just hear, you know, this idea around, you know, young people are supposed to, you know, they're supposed to like relax and they're supposed to, what's it called, you know, just like live their life. Um, you know, this is a burden for them. Um, often kind of like condescending from politicians that, you know, maybe oh they're on their God. phone we too much. Compulsory voting. <laughs> what what do you have to burden every four years or three years, depending on it's federal or state? rocking up to an election oh my gosh the what about the burden of having a mental health crisis amongst young people because we're not supported adequately by the federal health system what about the burden of climate change what about the burden of not ever being able to afford a house oh my god the hypocrisy is just ridiculous yeah it is ridiculous i think kind of one last one we hear is just this arbitrary like you know where are we going to draw the line if it's not 18 it's going to be sorry if it's not you know when do we finish it it's going to be 10 one day um, yeah, and I guess that argument doesn't make one, like it doesn't have credit because there are very clear reasons why 16 and 17 year olds should be trusted with the vote and why they're impacted by it. And 16, I think, is the proper age to cut that off. Oh, oh and, and as, as though that things can't change, we changed from 21 to 18. Like that was when we changed we the line. So if we could change mm. that line, why can't we change another line? Like the idea that the line never changes also makes no sense and has no historical arguments. It's just, it's just a lack of willingness 100%. from people currently not wanting to engage in this discussion. So what do you do when so, you know, nameless politicians tell tell you this? Like how does, like what does the organisation do in reaction? I mean, I just, it just makes me really annoyed. Like how, how does the organisation react to that? Yeah, it is very frustrating um, and hard, you know, to, I guess, keep rational um when, when you hear those kind of arguments but i think there are just like very clear responses for each of them that you know we can all provide but also that make it 16 is just made consistent so for instance there's just lots of data and statistics which show 
very contrary to a lot of them. So, for example, the big one that we hear that young people are just all going to vote progressive. You know, while a lot of young people are progressive, you know, would be progressive voters, they're definitely not a homogenous group. And I think we see that there are a lot of young people who maybe vote conservatively or vote differently um, and that, you know, their political opinions don't. Everyone at one point has been young, right? Like even those old politicians, you know, like, my God, we're not talking about people who live on another planet. Even if we were, they'd be more than more than fine to vote. But you know, like this, it's like uh. so. Okay, so this, we've got a bunch of stats and facts, but we do know in politics that sometimes the the facts don't necessarily change the minds much, right? You know, how how else have you like what other parts of your work, what parts of your campaign are focused on, I guess, shifting hearts and minds uh, around these issues. Who, who else are you speaking to? Aside? If the conversations with, politi- with politicians in general aren't totally useful, who else are you going to speak to or who else do you plan to speak to, to to engage support? Yeah, I think a really useful tool that we have is obviously not just, you know, statistics and facts, but I think just young people's stories can often be very helpful. So whether it's, you know, people on the campaign who are interested in it or young people that have had lived experiences, which mean that they're especially passionate about following the voting age, you know, whether it's in the mental health space, the disability space, you know, the climate space, lots of areas that specifically impact young people and quite disproportionately being able to share those lived experiences, I think can sometimes really help to show politicians that young people are definitely impacted by political decisions, but also that they are more than capable of being able to articulate those and being able to vote in terms of them. But yeah, definitely politicians aren't our only course of trying to make this change. I think media has been a big part as well. So We've been able to secure some radio interviews, some you know live TV interviews as well. And that's just getting the public on board, being able to get more people to know about this campaign, be able to support it, whether it's you know by following us or you know by trying to uh, you know reach out to us and contact us. But just I guess making something that we think is quite simple and important that to many people seems a bit you know strange and extreme, trying to make that seem normalized and make people know that it's a very important issue. Yeah, and that argument of making an argument about democracy in terms of making an argument about how we live our lives, you know, the reason why young people mm. voting is important is because young people are affected by issues around, like you said, mental health, disability, climate change and so forth. It's such a tangible, much more, you know, that's a very tangible way of making the argument rather. It's not this sort of abstracted universal suffrage, got go to go to a law degree to understand why it's important kind of thing. It's a very practical, mm. our lives will be better if our voices are heard on these issues. Yeah, I think yeah, your experience can be very powerful in that way. So we are going to put into the into the show notes information about how all our listeners can find out about this excellent campaign. Mm-hmm. So, But if you, if you were, well, you are speaking to our listeners right now, if there was one thing or a couple of things maybe that you'd love them to do to be able to support the campaign or, 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 or help this work, what would you ask them to do? I think what I would ask everyone to do is just as I mentioned earlier, uh, this is just something that we really need to I think, talk about. um, And I think we just really need to raise it so that it's not something that seems so strange. So I think just, you know, simple course of action, you know, obviously it would be great to help the campaign, whether it's, you know, following us or contacting us. But I think also just having that conversation with the young people in your life or maybe fellow people around you, whether it's, you know, your colleagues or your friends, maybe older people as well. We found that a lot of people, you know, whether it's like teachers, parents, grandparents are familiar with young people. They're very open to doing things that are going to 
help them live better lives now and in the future. So I think just bringing up that conversation of, you know, maybe lowering the voting age by two years is really going to help this bunch of people. You know, maybe it's not something as impossible and and strange as um, we might think. I think just, you know, understanding that it's a small change, um, but I think something that would definitely make a big difference to policy and to a lot of young people. Um, And if that's something that people can start conversations about, I think that can be really powerful. Excellent. Our role is to be part of the awareness raising phase where we sort of normalise the idea. Okay, well, I think that I think I can help, and I certainly think that people who are listening to this can can help play a role in 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 such a call. So, look, here's my final question for you, Anha, which is: look, being involved as a change maker, becoming a change maker, you know, all the lessons that you've learned from your from your grandma, from your school activity in primary school. I mean, you're still you've still got a lot of change making into your future, but you've already done a lot. How do you think that it has changed you to to do this kind of work, to be a change maker? How has it changed you? Yeah, I think it's really had a very positive change for me. I think both kind of like personally, but also in terms of my ability to hopefully do more change making and advocacy. I think with Make It 16 specifically, I was able to meet so many people that were, you know, from so many you know, different walks of life and different experiences, but who we all came together for that central message and who I found, you know, so many similarities with me in terms of, you know, common school experiences, you know, other kind of opinions, you know, books or politics or anything, you know, just being able to, I guess, talk to people and learn so much more about some really kind um, and hardworking young people was really amazing. I think just, you know, being able to connect with other people through this movement has been incredible. Um, but I think also just learning you know doing things like you know upskilling learning more about things like theory of change or being able to meet politicians I think all that has been really inspiring in me uh, to to know that this kind of change making process is not that distant or abstract but you know it's something that hopefully one day we'll be able to lower the voting age hopefully one day we'll see lots of positive changes for young people and you know for a lot of Australians who aren't experiencing equality or aren't you know experiencing the most ideal quality of life or the most ideal you know when we see so many issues facing a lot of Australians. So I think that, yeah, that, that hope that has come with um, working in this area has been really amazing. It is amazing. Look, the idea of making the impossible possible, right? You know, mm. It might feel impossible that people could vote at age 16 now, but mm. I am sure through the work of you and the organisation and thousands and thousands of others that, that it's not impossible and it can be made possible through effective change-making. So thank you so much for coming on the show, people. It's The campaign is called Make It 16. You can look it up on the, on the show notes. You can look mm-hmm. it up on the web. You can find them on all the, all the platforms and you can start conversations with young and old people you know about the importance of this issue. Anha, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you so much, Amanda. Thank you so much for having me. This was such a great conversation. Changemakers is hosted by me, Amanda Tattersall. Remember to subscribe to this podcast to catch all of our episodes. This is Series 7, so there's plenty to be inspired by in our back catalogue. Changemakers audio producer is Jules Wookerup. We're broadcast on Acast and a part of the Iconoclast Network. Our series sponsor is the Sydney Policy Lab at the University of Sydney. They break down barriers between researchers, policymakers and community campaigners so we can build change together. Check them out at sydney.edu.au backslash policy dash lab. Like us on Facebook, Instagram and threads at Changemakers Podcast. 
We're kind of still on Twitter, or X, whatever it's called these days, at Changemakers99. I'm sometimes there too, at Amanda Tats with two Ts. And check out changemakerspodcast.org for transcripts and updates on all of our stories. And don't forget to take a look at the online video and digital content from our Changemakers Organising School. If you want to take a deeper dive into the art of changemaking.